Welcome to Ruby Ray, real and raw conversations for the rising global woman. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Ray podcast. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton. Today, I am talking to Kelly Hunter, who is an astro-mythologist, and we are talking about the Black Moon Lilith and the Cosmic Feminine and this essential energy of the feminine of womanhood that is created by the cosmic weave of energies from the moon, Venus, and black moon Lilith, and how these energies come into our being and inform our fullest and truest expression of the feminine. So we also talk today about the Kuiper Belt objects and about current transits that are going on astrologically right now and really diving into the mythological and archetypal expressions and explanations of what this really means for us right now. I'm really excited to share this episode with you all. I've loved learning about Kelly's work, which is so fascinating to me. She's one of the few people who are really researching things astrologically in this way, weaving the mythology along with it, and then working with like the Kuiper Belt objects, which are very new and recent discoveries to come into our consciousness. And, you know, I really believe that they're coming in right now because we're ready for them and because they're here to assist us in this next wave of evolution and this next unfoldment. And so they're coming in with very distinct and unique flavors and expressions for us to assist us along the way. And so before I get going in this interview with Kelly, I wanted to share a poem from her website, which is heliastar.com. And this is where you can find all of her writings on depth astrology, astro mythology, and the cosmic feminine, and book a reading or any other information that you want to find here. But this is one thing that she wrote as it pertains to Lilith, which is is a big part of our conversation today. So I want to share it with you to kind of allow you to drop in deeper to what this energy of Black Moon Lilith really is and what she feels like, how she expresses. How do we know her? How do we know the mystery? How do we interact with the mystery? How do we become the mystery when we're dealing within these realms of the darkness and the dark mother and the cosmic womb and we're really entering the other world, it's really hard to give expression and explanation to these very primitive forces that are lying within us. And so this is where the mythopoetic language, the silver tongue, the deeper knowings and the questionings and expressions can really help us to get a deeper grasp and understanding and meaning for something that is just so hard to explain, but touches us so, so deep. So this is something that Kelly wrote and it's from her website and it's called Lilith Speaks, a Dramatic Monologue. You wonder, 
Who am I coming at you like your shadow, like a bird in flight in the dark of the night? I am the first and the last. I am the honored one and the scorned one. I am the whore and the holy one. I am the substance and the one who has no substance. I am she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. I sleep on the earth and I dance in the trees. I lie on the sands and I fly on the breeze. I walk in the sun and I drink with the bees. I sing with the rocks and I do as I please. You, you who have summoned me with your desires, there are things you need to know about love and creation. What can I know about love, you ask? I seduce, I destroy, I have no heart? Those are lies, lies they tell about me now, lies they might tell about you later. I live in the tree of life, with the serpent and the roots and the thunderbird and its branches. Why are you afraid of me, afraid of the tree? What you see outside is what is inside of you. And what is inside of you is what is outside of you. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. How beautiful are thy feet, O daughters of the moon! In the joining of thy thighs there is a jewel. I am wild like the wind, yes. Thy navel is like a round goblet filled with wine. Thy belly is like a heap of wheat set about with lilies. I live in trees. I kiss serpents, yes. Thy two breaths are like two young deer that are twins. Thy neck is a tower of ivory. Thine eyes are like the fish pools by the white harbor. My vitality of life is boundless. It is the same as yours. Feel your vitality, your passion for life. Let it fill you. Let it fill you with your beauty and your power. You, man of my heart, do you remember me? Do you remember what we once were to each other? Do you remember the love that we shared? I long for a mate, thirsty like water. Come to me. I want you. I need your seed, or I wither and die, no fruit in my branches. Do you resist me? Is it because I am stronger than you in the darkness of night? You say I am an illusion, a dream. I am no dream. I offer you rapture and peace for your sterile pride. You deny and question, but mine eyes gleam on thee, lit with an ancient light. My lips proclaim mysteries. My arms hold all that gods desire and fools reject. Behold me. But... I will not submit to you and be put beneath you like a serving maid. I am his who dares to pay my price. I ask too much, you say, yet I give all. Why do you hold back? I warn you, if you send me away, you will fall asleep, and your rib will be taken out for your mate. You banish me, but you will be cast out from the garden and struggle to be reborn. I will return to remind you of what you really want." How you feel broken with a mate who is but a part of you, like a crutch. I hurt. I am ill. What is this place? Where the children live in the cement boxes and eat chemicals for food. The land is burning with the raging fires of war. My trees are cut down, ruthlessly uprooted. Animals thanklessly consumed. My lifeblood spilled out for greed. I cannot live here. I must go. But you will hear my voice. In the wailing of women mourning their dead children, in the whimpers of the hungry babies, 
the floodplains of my heart will pour out over the land, and you will hear my voice in the howling winds and the hurricanes, in the earthquakes and the volcanoes. Awake, O thou whom my soul loveth, and come. Come into my garden, where the spices flow out. Come into your garden, and eat the pleasant fruits. Come to the temple for the holy rites of love. Set me as a seal upon thy heart, for love is strong as death. Set your soul free. By Kelly Hunter. There's three sources in this that come from the first one comes from the Song of Songs in the Bible. The second is from the Gnostic Gospels. The third is from a play Lilith by George Sterling, 1919. And the fourth one is Inner Visions, Woman's Chance. So I just thought that was a really beautiful poetic expression of Lilith and how this energy meets us in her own way in our own way in our lives if you would like to connect with kelly go to heliostar.com if you want to connect with me i'm at jacqueline norton on instagram you can send me an email at jacqueline at jacqueline to share any requests for future episodes and Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing this with friends and leaving reviews and for all of your support. And here is Kelly. And I'm really excited to talk to you today about the cosmic feminine and some of these archetypal and mythological feminine aspects that we find within the horoscope and also the Kuiper belt objects. So this is so exciting to just be having this conversation. And I love the work that you do around these deeper feminine aspects of the cosmos and how these energies are really coming in to support us and activate us in so many different ways right now. And I just love the direction that you take astrology because I really feel like it helps us to integrate and embody the kind of more far out and sometimes hard to fully grasp concepts and especially astrological concepts and bring them in through mythology and through the storytelling and archetypes. And I'm curious how you got started in this direction. And specifically, you talked about a dream where Lilith came and visited you. So would you be willing to share with us what the message for you came as? Sure. But I, I want to go back a little farther in terms of when I got in this direction, meaning of the cosmic feminine. And it was looking for female aspects of the sun, looking for sun goddesses. So I, I was playing with the idea that, you know, in some cultures, the moon is masculine, and in some, the moon is feminine. And I don't think that it's fair to give it one or the other. You know, in our culture, we think of the sun as masculine and the as feminine, but that's not always been so. And so I was interested in finding more of the cosmic feminine in terms of the sun energies. And I found a wonderful book by Patricia Monahan called Oh Mother Sun, in which she uh, gave a lot of stories of sun goddesses. 
from different cultures. So that was really my beginning into the divine feminine in terms of astrological work. And I then, you know, in terms of Lilith, there's a lot of literature where Lilith appears. And I did read a kind of novelette called Lilith by George MacDonald, who was a fantasy writer along, you know, the same era as C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And I had a dream the night I read that, that there was Lilith as a kind of tiger, which is how she appears in his book, where at night she is looking for children to devour because that is how she lived on human blood. And this dream had this tiger in a positive, majestic kind of way. And the tiger was caged and then abused by male tigers in such a way that she was really downcast and mutilated. And I remember the question I woke up with after that dream was, why such a royal upbringing to be brought so low or something along that line? And this is when I was learning about Lilith the asteroid because Asteroid Goddesses by Demetra George and Douglas Block had just come out. Then there was another Lilith that I discovered at a meeting of the American Dowser Society, where there was a book on the table with Lilith, interpreting Lilith, and it was a whole different Lilith. And then I went to a conference and someone was talking about the Black Moon Lilith, and it was like, what? You know, so that really got me interested and piqued my my curiosity about all these Lilith. And so that really got me into a, a deep dive with this very mysterious mysterious aspect of the divine feminine called Lilith, who has a pretty bad reputation in mythology altogether as as being the the woman-headed serpent who gave Eve the apple, as being even before then a kind of child killer and seducer of men. And part of my question has always been like powerful archetypal female figures, why are they so often demonized? So that also came through with the myth of Medusa, who was a pretty powerful feminine figure on Greek mythology. And one of the Liliths is the star that is in the constellation Perseus that marks the head of Medusa and specifically the eye of Medusa that is said to paralyze you if you look into it. So this was some very deep stuff that I still grapple with sometimes because there really is a demonic aspect to this energy in some ways when we are not allowing our soul its full expression in our lives. And I think, yeah, the Black Moon Lilith especially, but all the Liliths kind of reverberate on some wavelength that asks us to look at power, at negative energy, at ego identification. Some people are calling it service to self versus service to others. And that is going to be a certainly a soul dimension and a calling to really express oneself from that deep place to overcome some of the conditioning that we get when we start living our lives in this dense and limiting, in some ways, human body. And especially with the cultural gender issues that come up and how, you know, different generations of women, and I'm into my 70s now, you know, that it was a whole different era back when I was, so to speak, coming of age. 
and becoming interested, not in political feminism, but more eventually in psychological dimensions of the the divine feminine of the goddesses that seem to me were missing in our cultural context. And that's why the asteroids were interesting. And that's why Lilith became so interesting and compelling. And also, as we've uh, just in the last couple of decades now have these new discoveries in the, the far distant Kuiper belt offer indigenous creator gods are giving names to these bodies out there. And some of them are pretty extraordinary feminine energies, deities, creator goddesses. So that got me going on the trail of the cosmic feminine. Mm. Yeah, I feel like Lilith is so misunderstood, so deeply misunderstood in our culture. And even in reference to like pop culture astrology, where Lilith, it talks about it's about relationships, but it goes way deeper than that. So what do you think the true essence of the meaning of Lilith is? Well, You know, whatever I say might not be your same journey in relation to the Black Moon Lilith. And I think that the mystery goes that deep, that it's almost like can't be articulated. And though I've written two books about Lilith, Living Lilith, Four Dimensions of the Cosmic Feminine, and also a book called Black Moon Lilith, specifically about the Black Moon, nevertheless, I really hesitate putting it all into words and consider my work suggestive and as a basic interpretation because there have not been a lot of books written about Lilith in for astrologers in English. So many in European countries and Dutch and French and Spanish and Italian and German, but that I determined would be my contribution. But it's, it's a, a doorways. These astronomical bodies or astrological archetypes are doorways into an engagement with Lilith in these different ways that is a very, I think, personal journey, or we could say impersonal journey in a way, because she calls one in very different ways. Like Mm -hmm. she knows you so well. Mm -hmm. She knows how to get you, how to like, you know, kind of draw you in, how to fascinate you. And she, you know, she comes up in in life in ways that can be a bit shocking, Mm -hmm. uh, really quite disturbing. And yet, if I'm going to get down to the essence here, she is about helping free the soul to its full expression, which helps us to connect with the divine beyond all of the self-identities and the cultural overlays and all of that stuff that can weight us down. Yeah, I feel like she, like what you said, she knows exactly how to get to us. She knows how to rock us in like the distinct ways that it's different for all of us to show us where we're still living out the programming or where we're still acting unconsciously or we're just off of our our center or out of our power. She comes in to show us who and what we're giving our power away to and how to reclaim that for ourselves. And like you said, it can really throw us off center for a little bit (laughs) because it's like rocking the deepest core and stirring us from the deepest core of who we are. Absolutely. Yes. Here's a great quote from um, 
a Jungian uh, author. She wrote a book called Descent to the Goddess, which is a retelling, very deeply psychological and rich way about Inanna's descent to the underworld. Inanna being a Sumerian myth and describing the movement of Venus through the sky. And here's what she says about Inanna or Venus's encounter with the dark goddess below. She perceives with an objectivity like that of nature itself and our dreams boring into the soul to find the naked truth, to see reality beneath all its myriad forms and the illusions and defenses it displays. Mm. Yeah, and that, that's that eye of Medusa as well, but it's the deeper penetrating right into the soul. Mm-hmm to find the truth of the soul, the naked reality, not all of these things that we try to comfort ourselves with or illusions we buy into. So that's Sylvia, Sylvia Pereira's quote that I love me is so much about, about Lilith. And she, it's like she trips you up over your own stuff while you're getting in your Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what a gift to receive it because those are those moments where in like Black Moon Lilith is the void. What I think of her is the void because Absolutely. it's just, yes, yes. it's the womb. And I know the moon relates to the womb, but this is like the cosmic womb and it's, it's the void. It's where all time, space and dimensions collapse. And that's what Lilith experiences feel like to me is when all timelines collapse. It's like these node points where and they're massive catalysts or massive turning points in life. And you know it when you're in it or you know it when it's like a flash of a second and like your life will never be the same forever because all time just collapses into this black hole of nothingness in one single moment. And this incredibly rich and also rocking and jolting lesson comes to find us to bring us back into our center. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. And I love that you said black hole because that black hole is kind of where she lives, where the goddess gives birth to any potential, where the Shiva Shakti dances and that it is connected into our wombs as well, that deep place where we give birth and birth and birth again to ourselves, Mm -hmm. in fact. Black Moon Lilith is not known by everyone, and maybe um, it would be a good idea to tell exactly what it is astronomically. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yes, that would be great. I know I just sort of dove in because I'm so excited to talk about these things, but let's kind of backtrack a bit to explain Black Moon Lilith and also what the cosmic feminine is and the different essential aspects of womanhood that it encompasses. Well, there's so many. There's so many faces, facets of the divine feminine. I love that. And so I've zeroed in astrologically on a way of working with our own astrology that way. So what the black moon is, it is intimately connected to the earth moon orbit, the way the moon goes around the earth. If it were a circle, there would be one center, the earth, and that would be that. But all orbits are elliptical. No orbit is a perfect circle. So when we have an elliptical orbit. There's not one center point or what they call focal point. There are two of them that mathematically make up that ellipse. And so there's the earth as one of the focal points and the black moon Lilith, which is not a moon. It's not a body. It's this mathematical point that's intimately connected 
to the way the moon goes around the earth. So starting to think about that moon as being the womb of the mother that incarnates us on our earth path, what would that black moon point be then? What would that other mathematical point be that's invisible, that's not even there? And I came across a myth in one of Robert Sardello's books. He's a depth psychologist, and he talked about the myth of Sophia and that Sophia, bride of Christ, so to speak, the divine wisdom of the feminine is always seeking to return to God and be immersed in the in the all that is. And one time there she was going and she got distracted by an equally bright light and she found herself inside the earth. And she is there seeking to be reunited with the divine through every living creature on the earth. And I love that myth. And I thought, well, that could be Lilith. That could be the soul seeking its liberation through incarnation on the earth. In some traditions, they say, you know, we can make a lot more progress here because it's such a dense plane (laughs) into our our spiritual freedom and liberation. But be that as it may, it seemed to me that Black Moon Lilith represents the desire of the soul to embody. Mm. It's not like a life purpose. It's not a reason. It's nothing like that. It's pure desire to be here now, I guess we could say. And to free that soul from all the inhibitions of the ego. She's an ego buster. (laughs) There's a a Tibetan feminine divine called Dakini, Mm -hmm. D-A-K-I-N-I. And I think of Lilith as being like that. And one of the books I read that helped inform me of my ideas about Lilith is called Dakini's Warm Breath by Judith Simmerbrown, who very long time Buddhist practitioner and also met many lamas and Rinpoches and wrote this book about this mysterious cosmic feminine in Tibetan Buddhism and talks about how all women carry Dakini energy because we are women, but men can hold that too. And It has a kind of wisdom transmission energy that is not mental. It goes beyond that. And that as an ego buster, she also does whatever it takes to blow your mind out of rationality, conceptions, limiting thought forms, emotional obfuscations, or whatever. So you're in spacious Buddha mind, you know, (laughs) no judgments that can really make her come off very negative. Don't go there. Mm. I think the judgment piece is so huge because she is the embodiment of the aspect of the feminine that has been the most judged and the most condemned. And so it's almost like she shines that mirror for us of where we are still judging other women, in this case, other women for maybe their feminine expression, which is really just connecting us with the yearning for the connection with our deep feminine that hasn't fully expressed and been liberated within us. Yes, that's so true. It also is we judge ourselves pretty harshly as well. 
Mm-hmm. So yes, that is a part of her, let us call it purity. And you spoke earlier about how many people think of Lilith as, say, like wildly sexual. Perhaps she has a lot to do with tantric sexuality, which connects us to spirituality. But it also is this feminine energy without inhibition, like pure feminine creativity and essence of being, essence of being. And she's not judging herself. So she's completely free to express however her heart desires. Yes. And I think saying heart desires is really important there. (laughs) You know, needs to be heart connected because if she is truly essence, a feminine essence of the divine, love is greater than any other power, any other force. And we need to be in that heart-centered place, I think, to tap into the Lilith potential. And in the way that I've been working with that kind of energy, I think of the heart intelligence, the emotional intelligence as being part of our Venus energy, which we think of as classically feminine, goddess of love, beauty, the arts, self-esteem. And we, we need to be in touch with that aspect of ourselves as well. So there is that personal essence that Venus brings through the heart and that loving ourselves. And as we deepen into our heart, we tap into something divine within us that she is shining through as the goddess of love and in classical mythology. And in that story of Inanna descending to the underworld, you know, she goes to these places where she wants to encounter that deeper aspect of herself that is soul connected as well and more impersonal, where Venus is personal. The black moon is very impersonal. It is as it is. Don't argue with it. Don't try to make it into something else, especially when we're entering a relationship. The black moon imposes this sense of don't try to make a relationship into something it's not. And that's very challenging. Venus relationships are all about love and the spicy tango between the archetypal masculine and feminine. But Black Moon Lilith relationships are soul awakening relationships. Hmm. And that's not always pretty. That, like you said, yeah, she can tear you apart. She can break your heart. She she wants to open you up to that dimension, which is the truest dimension of yourself. Yeah, and what a gift for that, right? Like, what a gift to to receive that because those moments where she rocks us or breaks our heart open or completely turns our world on its axis. Those are the moments where we enter the mystery. Yeah, There's nowhere else to go but deep into the mystery, deep into the unknown, deep into the void, because that is the nature of these experiences. Nothing else makes sense but the mystery, but the darkness, but everything that is just out of reach. And we so fight against that. 
mm-hmm. because we're not safe. It's not comfortable. It, we're looking at the mirror of darkness in ourselves mm-hmm. that if we look long enough, we're going to find the glimmer of light in there. We're going to find some deep light that is a mysterious and in our subtle senses, it's not the outer world with the five basic senses. It's it's something else in us. It's some other level of consciousness in us that is opening up and awakening. And that's why it is these deep feminine aspects, because the only thing that's going to guide us through those moments and those experiences is intuition, that heart knowing it's nothing in the exterior world. There's no clarity. There's no knowing. There's no rationality. You're completely in this other world experience trying to maneuver your way out of complete and utter darkness and still find that flashlight that's going to pave that path out for you. Yes. And that that's the inner light within us that has to shine out. So it's being in that black hole where all light is absorbed. But now in physics, we're finding out that no, there's an event horizon around the black hole and energy goes out as well as comes in. And also as it goes in and in right into the center, when it's in that zero point center, that energy can connect with any other center in the potential of this energetic backdrop of the universe. So it's certainly something instinctive intelligence, intelligent. It's not instinctive blindness, it's instinctive intelligence that we just know. It's like maybe we could connect it with the womb again in that way of tapping into the erotic potential that wants to give birth, that wants to be And it's so deeply intimate. The moon is the closest body to the earth. And the black moon is part of that intimate weaving of the earth, moon, and black moon point. So if we have black moon, Lilith is like this deep desire, this deep yearning to merge with the divine, to merge with this force beyond ourselves, this mysterious desire. I don't know how else to say it. And then it's like Venus is sort of... Mm-hmm. either. I don't know how else to say it. Desire is such a primary word, you know, mm-hmm. to me. I, I can't. I can't find anything else that says what that is, you know, and that's why Mm -hmm. it's so primordial, so deep. Again, I like to use the word erotic, which doesn't mean necessarily sexually expressed, but it's the deep, deep, vibrant evocation of the life force. Right. Because it's like Venus is emerging with the lover or with the the other, right? And it's like, no matter how much you are merged in the romantic love or in the self-love or in the self-expression, there's still going to be a deep, deep desire in your heart for more. You'll still want more. And that wanting more is the merging with the divine. It's the merging with the mystery. But if we keep on going back beyond Venus and that embodiment of the joy and the pleasures of life and the self-expression and the embodiment of truly loving ourselves and letting in that playfulness, then we find our way to the moon. And so what does this moon relationship, how does this aspect weave into the cosmic feminine? 
Mm. Well, yeah. So the moon, if it's the womb of the mother that, you know, births us into incarnation, we waken up in the in the womb at some point. We're very aware of at some point sounds and our mother's voice. And we, we start to wake up there. And these early impressions are so profound and precognitive. And then the whole birth experience Some people have an easier time. Some people have a harder time. That makes an impression. And then how the nest of your family receives you or not, or takes care of you or not, also sets up some almost like artificial sense of who you are. And those early, early impressions are so profound, it becomes something like our 90% subconscious operating system. And a lot of that is coded by family ancestry, like our place in the family sibling order, whether the father was there or not, how the parental relationship was. All of those really affect us in a very strong way. And there's naturally unmet needs. And those are part of an emptiness that we're seeking to fill. And this moon then is that, again, subconscious operating system that can be very reactive in terms of life and very unconscious. And so Venus brings brings more of the awareness and consciousness through the heart intelligence that can inform the moon in a different way. And then there is the black moon that wants to bust that whole ego structure out. So we are in pure experience, pure awareness. The soul is expressing itself fully. So there's something in those three aspects of the divine feminine that are kind of dancing with each other. And they're all part of our experience. Mm-hmm. And they overlap too. And Absolutely. Do you feel like it's a true intention of Black Moon Lilith to bring to our awareness the places where we are still acting out of those moon subconscious patternings and instincts and to shed light on them in the way that only she can so that we can live truly in the moment, truly anchored in the moment, truly present? I love the way you describe that, except that I don't think Lilith has intention. <laughs> mm. It's it's just, it's like Dakini. It's just that energy. Oh, you know, it's so hard to give it words. It, and it is such a personal experience because there's so much that the black moon will touch into. It's almost like nobody else knows you that well, even yourself. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So if she if it's not intention, what is it? Is it does that go back to the erotic pure life force energy? I think that's a better way to say it. She just is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we're called to, right? In some way, it's just be, be. Mm-hmm. And hopefully as the, so to speak, timelines are loosening here, we can, I don't want to say, I don't know if I want to say drop into that, but I think we'll have more leeway as the light 
continues to come in, be it on the solar flares from the galactic center, where all of these waves of light are coming in, almost matching the light from within that black moon is lighting up in some way in our consciousness these days. And again, it's not always from the pretty things, right? It's, it's, it can be brutal. In my experience, it's always been brutal, but it's also overlapped with the pretty things. And I think that's the interesting thing, how Lilith works, the node points, the convergence points. In my experience, when I've had those moments, I just know it. The moon and Venus and black moon Lilith are all playing together. So it's like there's strings from the moon of subconscious programming or childhood patterns or family dynamics. And then there's strings coming in from Venus of lovers or of self-expression or of self-love or lack thereof. And then there's Lilith, Black Moon Lilith coming in, and that's the deep rattling, the deep stirring. And and so they're all all these different weaves of the cosmic feminine are present. The moon and her aspects are present and Venus is present and Black Moon Lilith is present. And they're all playing their individual role, but they're interacting, interlapping together. They're all woven into the same moment. Yes. And it's not a sequential waking up from moon to Venus to black moon. You know, I've met people who knew Lilith from childhood without Lilith ever having been mentioned at all. It's like a visitation and often will overarch like, and I don't want to call Lilith a great mother, but it is a different kind of primary primordial feminine that can overarch the moon, which for some people can be very limiting and not very nurturing. Even though the moon is all about nurturing and expanding perception. So why do you say that? Well, some people don't have a nurturing family or mother. So something is lacking there. And sometimes I think it opens up an awareness of something more that is truer and deeper in the person. Like that lack of maternal caring can evoke Lilith, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm speaking from experience with doing a lot of charts and talking to people who've had really extraordinary Lilith experiences. Mm -hmm. I think she is with us our whole life and just waits for those moments where, like what we've been saying, she knows the exact way to reach us. She knows what makes us tick. She knows how to get our attention in the way that only will work for us. And so we can be interfacing with those sort of energies or moments throughout our whole life. And then you've come across some mythology or these conversations that just can give a little bit more meaning or insight into, into an energy that's always been with us just hasn't maybe been able, we haven't been able to put a name to it. Yes. Yes. That's the way to say it. Here's a, here's a quote from Margaret Drabble and one of her novels called The Waterfall. Fate was so sensitive to the details of my fears and desires that it had paid more attention to their underlying patterns than to their surface appearances. And you mentioned Lilith comes at these nodes where a lot of things converge. And in fact, Lilith is connected to the nodes of the moon, which are also related to the moon's orbit. And the nodes of the moon are like our line of destiny. Wow. And so. 
So how is Lilith connected to the moon, the moon's nodes? Well, the moon's nodes are where the path of the moon intersects with the path of the sun and we can see eclipses. Mm -hmm. So the eclipse cycle takes 19 years to circle the zodiac. The orbit of black moon Lilith takes exactly half that time to come back around to a starting point. (laughs) So there's something about destiny and that desire of the soul to embody that is related. And that eclipses, I wouldn't say they necessarily have a Lilith energy, but they, they are more about those moments where there's an opening out of the typical rhythm of the moon and that rhythm is shifted in some way. Wow. Do you think for the purpose of this conversation and understanding the deeper mythic language of Lilith as it pertains to us in our own unique ways, would it be helpful to give a little taste or a little doorway into how Lilith could be communicating with us or expressing through the astrological signs that she's in? Sign by sign? Yeah. Is that something, does that sound easier? Would that be too complex? I think, well, that I was so hesitant in my books to write interpretations sign by sign because I think she just doesn't like such definitions. And I really feel it's important to interpret Lilith in context of the whole chart. Yeah. Now, for instance, if you have Venus opposite Black Moon Lilith, you're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to be looking for or experiencing a typical, let us call it romantic relationship. The Lilith influence on Venus is going to want something deeper and soul connected that is not just about just about personal happiness and the what can sometimes be the spicy tango or uh, Venus has so much to do with our relational style. But Black Moon brings that desire for a soul connection into any relationship. And again, that sense of loving yourself enough to let the relationship be what it is and to really see the other person for who they are which we, you know, mm-hmm. romantic overlays have expectations and projections. Venus doesn't always go there. I think the moon does that much more automatically, but something about something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Is there anything else that you feel like saying or sharing on Black Moon Lilith? Let me just give some comments on moon, Black Moon dynamics in a chart. Okay can mean that like uh, like I was saying earlier that you don't get the kind of care that you really need there's something you know your soul is craving more in a kind of way and that it can be a difficult relationship with the family in some way or a very compelling and deeply engaged deeply close 
relationship. And I've seen it go both ways, that there's a strong influence of, say, like the mother or one where it's like the mother is so incredibly negative that the daughter, say, has had to go on a completely different path and even not see her mother. So it can go both ways, but there's something very compelling and almost like a fascination that the, the Black Moon can carry even while it's trying to help us gain a more impersonal, I don't know how to put this into words, soul view or different way of living our lives, different, I don't know, words get very difficult here when we're entering the mystery, do they not? Like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's almost like the way that I feel it is that Black Moon Lilith almost wants us to see things. She wants to bring us back to that neutrality so we can see everything from an objective standpoint. And Venus can be very subjective. Venus can be very rose-colored glasses and caught up in the the romance and the flights of fancy or in just the exuberance or it's kind of that fairy tale feminine sort of energy. And then the moon can be very colored by its own traumas or that haven't been healed or family experiences, mother experiences, all of these things. They can kind of like fog up the goggles a little bit. So you're not really seeing the person or the situation or yourself through clear glasses. And it's like Lilith wants us to see things just from that neutral objective. It is what it is standpoint. See it for what it is. Accept it for what it is. See the other person for what they are. and move from that place yes yes you know it's like the moon comes from a place of needs unmet a neediness sometimes Mm. or a dependency or something unfulfilled that we're looking for another person to fill or something but also you know it can also be we're here to create a family together we're about family you know how some couples call each other mother and father so there can be a repeating of these family <laughs> patterns uh, that come and uh, they're not always Venus Venus and Mars relationships. They're not always that male femaleness. They're the repeat or uh, mirror of the parental. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And all of these factors, as you say, are very interwoven. And that's the beauty of the dance between them that has many nuances that are very unique to each of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with the moon, I also feel like the higher expression of the moon or maybe the healed expression of the moon wants those family dynamics. And for example, even if there's a synergy with the mother, there will still be conditionings and programmings that need to be tended to, to fully live in that uninhibited black moon. I am what I am expression, fully free from from the past. And the moon, as it evolves and as it grows and heals that neediness and that needing for like comfort or feeling like you can't get needs met, the way that that evolves is into a deep, deep capacity to tend to your own needs and to the nurture the needs of others. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when I see say like the moon challenged by Venus in the chart, nobody's argued with me when I've suggested that they probably don't want to live their life as a woman the way their mother did, even if they love their mother. Wow. It has to do with like different values that are different than the family, that one needs to kind of seek one's own quality of happiness and meaning. Mm. 
and definition of womanhood or the feminine. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's so interesting. Cool. So we can look at our chart or get a reading with you to understand the deeper interplay happening between these different planets and how they're how they're affecting us. Yes. Yes. And then so much more we can add the large and expanding realm of the uh, the cosmic feminine part is the asteroid. There have been wonderful books written about asteroid goddesses, etc., and have been very helpful. And now we have this whole new realm. And then this new realm, which has only been discovered since uh, the new millennium, we have extraordinary energies. And one that comes to mind as we're speaking here is Haumea, who is the Hawaiian goddess of childbirth. And so she gives birth to everything. And then after each birth, she renews herself. And so in a way, she's rebirthing herself. And you can you know, imagine that she's very womb-oriented, <laughs> although it is said that she can give birth from different parts of her body. So that this is you know, very hard to anthropomorphize some of these energies, even though we try to, because we like to imagine the femaleness or the woman energy or the masculine energy of a creator deity, but to some extent extent, they do not have many of these creator gods and goddesses that these objects out there are being named for are, are like gender neutral, or they're like mother father gods, they're they're not male or female. And it's kind of hard to give words to what the original source, the great spirit, the one who is all or whatever we want to call that primordial creative power. And these like Haumea is that energy of birthing and birthing the creation. And part of what I've wondered and given some thought to is like, how does she determine what it is that she's going to give birth to? Mm-hmm. Like if you're living your life and you, you're very creative and you have all these projects, what one are you actually going to complete and bring forth. Sometimes there are a lot of stillborn projects, we could say. Is it from this is needed? Is that it would be beautiful and wonderful to have that in the world? Is it that pure creative erotic force of creation coming through, which is probably so? Because she's the mother of Pele, the volcano goddess. She's the mother of a very powerful water spirit. She's the mother of Hiiaka, who is the hula dance goddess. So yeah, Haumea is She has like a magic uh, stick that she can put in the water and the water creatures will gather around and offer themselves as food if need be. So this is a creative power of the earth herself in in a kind of way. And she's one of the Kuiper, am I saying that right? Kuiper belt objects? Yes. Would you say that in the current cycles that we're experiencing now, what are some of the main influences and especially in regards to the Kuiper Belt influences in in this year, 2022? Well, Haumea is very powerful right now and has been for a couple of years because she's been at the end of Libra and uh, squaring, that means in a challenging dynamic with Pluto. So Pluto being the god of death and rebirth and where we're experiencing the ending and the falling apart of certain structures and systems that we're so used to living under, it's like we hardly know what to do. Pluto in, in the sign of Capricorn is like system and structures are just falling apart. Like, you know, <laughs> the whole world is locked. 
And then there's Halmea going, yes, but we're going to give birth to something really great. This is going to be much better. Like giving birth even while the old world is dying. It's like a new wave is coming in over the wave that's, you know, going out with sand under your feet sort of thing. So there's a, a renewal energy that is uh, really very encouraging and powerful as as the world is changing. Haumea is a wonderful energy to, to call upon for your own creative verve and like what you want to bring, you know, into the world. And so she's at the very end of Libra. And I think one thing that she's giving birth to now is Libra, which is relationship. I think she's New affiliations, you know, people meeting each other in different and unusual ways, but it may be part of the something greater is coming forth that we all want to contribute to. And I think we are all looking for our people to co-create with these days. So I think she is kind of matching us up in certain ways. And these these bodies move very slowly. Let's see, Haumea's orbit they're they're longer than Pluto, which is 248 years. Haumea's orbit is 283 years around the zodiac. Wow. So when does she leave Libra? Well, she actually steps into Scorpio in this November, November of 2022. But briefly, she'll go back into Scorpio and transition, you know, as we head into 2023. And then she'll she'll be in Scorpio until 2050. So I, I could give you some, like, if you want to figure out where yours is, Haumea was in Leo between 1926 and 1959 or 60. And many of those people, especially people born in the 50s, have Pluto and Haumea conjunct. That is so, like creative, like, whoa, creative power just bursting forth into expression. And then people born from 1959, 60 up to 1992, three, four have Haumea in Virgo, which is an earth sign. And then Libra, which started in about 92, three, four, and is ending this year into next year. And then, yeah, in Scorpio, where there is more of that volcanic power going on. So if Humea in Libra is bringing this birthing to focus to relationships, what would the relationship to Humea in Virgo be like? Yeah, Virgo is very, very tuned to earth energy, to nature, its natural rhythms, the feel of the seasons. And a lot of people born with Haumea in Virgo have Pluto there as well. And people born in 62 to 69 have Uranus there as well. So there's a lot of Virgo energy among those people, including Haumea, uh, that may feel, you know, tapping into the intelligence in nature and and wanting to be in sync with that. Mm. In service to it. Yes, absolutely in service. Yes. Mm. Yes. And uh, to feel how our bodies are part of nature and bringing forth our experience of that in a way that the intelligence of our, the bionome, what do we call that? (laughs) The biological intelligence in the gut area in, in, you know, that, that instinct. Mm, The second brain. 
Yes. Yes. And the mycelium world that interconnects everything all around the earth and really tapping into that realm. Ooh, that's so interesting. Yes. Birthing through intuition, right? Like those gut instincts. Yes. Yes. And earthy intuition, not a fiery one, (laughs) you know, not a Sagittarian intuition of imagery and vision, but more one of the, that, that gut intelligence that just, just, can sort and sift with exquisite fine tuning. Mm, I love that. And what about Celasia? Where is I love her so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of my first favorites. Uh, she was the first Quaper Bow object that I learned about. And I was just like, oh, I feel so connected. Yes. To her. Well, I learned to say Celasia from a fellow astrologer here in Vermont uh, named Lalita. And I loved that she said Celasia because people would normally say salacia mm-hmm. and you know it has that connotation of kind of smuttiness which actually salacia salacious actually means really sensual and seductive along that line and mm-hmm. you know salacia is a mermaid and yes they have that quality of energy it's mesmerizing it is and you know here she is the mermaid who makes the sunlight to sparkle on the sea ah oh, how can you not like her you know, incredibly mm. delightful and uplifting. And so, you know, Neptune fell in love with her, but she thought, oh, how, you know, I'm just a mermaid. He's king of the ocean. He's just flirting. I'm I'm not into that. So she left. She went away into another part of the ocean and he sent a dolphin to tell her, no, he's serious. He wants to make you his queen. And so she went back. And she's queen of the mermaids, <laughs> queen of the queen of the sea, and uh, Neptune's consort, we could say. And so I think that sparkling. There's so many forms of water, not just the sea, but whenever I see sparkling waves or rivers, or I'm in the time of day right now where I have a crystal in my west-facing window, and I have like rainbows all over the wall. Not exactly Celasia, but it, it makes me feel like it could be even the moon. Moonlight on a on a field of freshly fallen snow at night, mm-hmm. or just these cosmic waves that are coming in right now with a lot more photons. That's light energy, shimmering. You know, this is Celasia to me. I just love this kind of these waves of light. It's like she's riding them and she's uplifting us. Yeah. So Celasia, she's in Aries now. So Aries. The first degree of Aries, she went into Aries over the course of 2016 into 2017. And the first degree of Aries is, this is a a zero point energy. It's the first degree of the Zodiac. And there's an image that goes along with that. With every degree of the Zodiac has an image called a Sabian symbol. So the very first degree of Aries is a woman rises from the sea embraced by a seal. Wow. (laughs) So, you know, a seal woman, close enough, you know, and Celasia just belonged there, you know. That is her, yes. Wow. Yeah, and she'll be in Aries until 2040. So how do you think she, Aries, how is she expressing uniquely through Aries? Oh, I think she's finding new ways to sparkle. <laughs> I think she's, she's lighting up new neural pathways in our brains. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting about her story and her myth with Neptune and how the dolphin had to come and get her because she was like, oh, no, Neptune, you know, doesn't want to be with me or wouldn't want to be with a mermaid, whatever. And that almost reminds me of, I wonder if in her story and in her myth ties in themes of self-worth and owning our sparkle and seeing our sparkle. Yes. Because if you're not seeing your sparkle, if you're not owning that aspect of yourself that just radiates effortlessly, that just emits an iridescence to anyone in your aura, anyone in your field. If you're not seeing that and like owning that in yourself and recognizing that, you know, you're not going to know your worth fully and you're not going to see yourself and you're not going to understand why you're worthy, right? And so it's like, I feel like she, that's like a, another theme that she helps us with and helps us like to integrate and understand better. Yes, I, I agree with that. And, you know, when I started developing some themes, I put deep emotional questioning, self-honoring and self-trust and trust, period. But the self-honoring, the, the self-worth, yeah, I think that's absolutely part of her her story. And, you know, she was not going to just have an affair with him. No, that's not how she she experienced herself. So that that's a beautiful high vibe energy. And it's hard to not get into typical interpretation as we're used to with astrology, but I think we have to be more open to allowing these energies to inform us. And the mythologies and the stories around them can help when there is a story. <laughs> and, and because this Kuiper Belt realm, Pluto being the first of the Kuiper Belts, the king of the Kuiper Belts is what I call him. Now that there have been more of these icy bodies being discovered, I think it's a whole new realm of consciousness that is opening up to us now. And that I think of it as a quantum consciousness, which goes back to some things we were saying about being in the center point and being able to, to evoke and co-create. And that has certainly to do with intention certainly to do with these indigenous creator gods. And that's from all around the world really expands our astrological and mythical pantheons. I mean, these are not new gods, but they're being remembered beyond the, the people who know them, but they are offering potential way of this creative energy that works on a very subtle level, like the ether. And in Buddhist philosophy, they, they talk about ether, well, many cultures do, of as the fifth element that gave rise to the four physical elements, earth, air, fire, and water. So ether is like the element of consciousness, and there is physical ether and non-physical ether. So to me, these creator gods and goddesses are reaching into the non-physical and pulling down into creation what they're manifesting, what their intention is, what their vision is, what, again, what are they bringing forth, but it's life force. 
So would you say that if ether is consciousness, would air then be, air is like imagination and the breath and imagination. So it's almost like the ether, the consciousness of the ether is then funneled down through the imagination. The imagination is just one layer that that ether etheric consciousness comes down into form through and it's like the imagination is how it selects the potentials from all of the ether and all of the consciousness. The imagination is like what selects the specificity and brings it down. Hmm. Hmm. I'm just trying to understand the relationship between air and ether, like how they differ. Oh, okay. Well, I think air is more mental. It's like the mental realm, mm. thought, whereas imagination to me is fire. And, and it's like an image but I, I do think the imagination is like, we almost need to be able to imagine something to then manifest it. Or if we can imagine it, we can manifest it. I've been uh, working lately with the phrase, instead of, I have to see it to believe it, I have to believe it to see it, which goes to this idea of manifestation or imagination. Imagination. If I can imagine it, it can be. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, the ether includes all the elements, though. So it includes air, fire, earth, and water. And water is the most universal of the elements is what I've been contemplating lately from some uh, Native American teachings that I've been attuning into. And why would you say that Pluto is the king of the Kuiper Belt? Well, when it was discovered in 1930, they go like, after all the big gas giants, like, what is this? Can we even call it a planet? And then its moon is half as big as Pluto and they go around together. So it's like a pair. It's like a, it's like a waltzing couple in the darkness of the distant you know, space. And so it's icy and small. And that's the rest of the Kuiper Belt objects are mm -hmm. icy and small. So they're realizing that Pluto is the first one discovered of this whole realm that they're seeing deeper into the solar system now. So Pluto, at first they thought Eris, E-R-I-S, the goddess of discord, who's twice as far out as Pluto. They thought she was bigger than Pluto, but no, now they've, they've recalculated and Pluto is still the largest. So that's why I call him the king, <laughs> the king of the country. Amazing. Yeah, I love that. Well, this is just some amazing information about the cosmic feminine and Kuiper Belt objects and transits that influences energies that we're feeling right now. Um, is there anything that you want to add as, as far as the current cycles that we're in? I know we have a full moon coming up or do you feel like we've covered good ground? Well, you know, unless we want to talk for another hour, I think we've covered good ground for now. But I do want to invite anyone who's interested. I, I do write newsletters and they're on my website. You can subscribe to get them in your email called Cosmic News, Cosmic Inspiration News. And I have just put out about the full moon, which we're on the eve of the June 14th. A full moon is is one of the super moons, and we're getting all of these like all the lunations these days are just incredibly complex and powerful. Oh my gosh! Hey, <laughs> you add in the belt and I'm, 
They're next level. I've never experienced anything like the cosmic events of this year. Just like this eclipse season, I am so grateful to be through that. Well, we've got another one coming up in October, November. Buckle up, baby. We get a we get a little breather breather in between. Yeah. Well, Dill, this is a pretty powerful lunation, if you ask me. <laughs> so this this super moon you think is? Well, Neptune is right in between the sun and the moon. So Neptune has a lot of influence. This is the dream planet. This is like, what is the big dream? Are you falling into illusion and confusion and you know, delusion? Or are you rising to the spiritual nuances, revealing more of the subtlety and kind of like Black Moon Lilith, kind of busting our preconceptions of what we think is going on? So um, one of the high sides of Neptune, and it's like takes 165 years to go around. So it's a collective consciousness planet and it represents the big dream, capital B, capital D, like a collective vision. And if we can all have a positive collective vision, <laughs> we can we can get there. Oh, I love that. I love that. But we have to not get caught up in the illusions and delusions and the lower temptations, which Neptune can also be uh, subject to in order to dream that bigger dream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it can get into nightmares, you know, and, um, and it just, some people are so extraordinarily sensitive. They really have a hard time with the the intensity of the energy and the kind of the chaos in the world. And yeah, this is, this is a big moment here. Wow. Also a good time to pay attention to our dreams. Definitely. Yeah. Neptune is in its own sign Pisces. Mm. And that was never more true than on April. On April 12th, Jupiter, which also rules Pisces, you know, in the classical way, and Neptune were together in the sky for the first time since 1856. And they Jupiter is big and Neptune is dream. So we really had a huge wave come in. Of, of a big dream, a big vision. And as many of us as can ride that, you know, our surfboards on that dream to the shores of the new earth, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing this wisdom and this knowledge and, and just helping us have deeper understanding for for these energies that are very alive and very very present right now. So yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you. Well, and likewise, you had really, you know, you have really deep understanding and it's been great to engage with you at this level. And I I so appreciate the invitation, Jacqueline. Mm, Thank you. And yeah, let people know where they can find you and get in touch or there's any offerings that you have currently, where can they connect? Well, my website is www.heliastar.com. That's H-E-L-I-A. That's the feminine sun. <laughs> uh, so I was explaining at the beginning, you know, the, the feminine sun energy. So Helia, H-E-L-I-A, star, S-T-A-R.com. There's a lot of stuff on there about the Kuiper Belt objects, the cosmic feminine about my astrology consultation work, about other things. And uh, so have fun exploring. And you can sign up there for my cosmic newsletter, which I write for 
new and full moons. And I've been doing this as a, a kind of practice, let us say, since 2004 already. Wow. So, and, you know, if you sign up on the email list, you'll, you'll get it in your email, but you can always find it on my website too. So, yeah. I, that'll have everything. In my newsletters, I also talk about any special things going on, any special offers, any things on my schedule and such like that. Well, it was wonderful talking today. And yeah, thank you so much for being here, Kelly. My pleasure. indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ruby Ray. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton, and I'll see you next time.